You are listening to Future Net Zero, a platform to help businesses and the wider community improve our lives and our planet by achieving net zero. In this episode, Future Net Zero founder Suet Bose speaks with Michael Gilbarro, co-founder and owner of Villa Nursery, and Mark Tarry, CFO of Amp Clean Energy, as they explain how, through an energy supply agreement, the nursery benefits from discounted heat and power. Well, I'm married, I would say, to an Italian woman. And the Italians are famous for their love of food. In fact, they're obsessed with it. And today we're going to have a conversation about food and energy, horticulture, net zero, and the whole kind of future of where food would be. I'm joined by Michael Gilbaro from the Villa Nursery and Mark Tarry, CFO of Amp Clean Energy. Gentlemen, hello. Hello. How are you going? Uh, Michael, can I start with you? Why are Italians so obsessed with food? They are, aren't they? It's, it's in the blood. It's in the blood. It's the way we speak with our hands. It's the way we articulate ourselves. And food is such an important part of our lives. You know, we, we gather around a table and eat the food. So we recognise when a food is of optimal quality or not. My partner and her family, when I go to Italy, the first thing they go is, oh God, it's a tomato. Oh God, it's a cucumber. I mean, this, this is not, it's like, oh God, I've eaten lettuce. I'm like, what? we've got this all in London. What are you on about? But this thing about food being fresher there. Your family's Italian. They, they started the business. Tell, tell, tell us all a little bit about where, where this came about. And, and were they farmers? Where, where were they from? Well, this is a long story, and I'll try and keep it a little bit short if I can, is the fact that my parents came over uh, to the UK about 65 years ago. Uh, they were brought over from Sicily, where the English horticulture industry required uh, workers from abroad to help them out with their industry. And they came over, in effect, to work in the glasshouse industry in the UK. As things progressed and we joined the uh, common market and things were getting easier to import, the horticulture industry here really started to decline in a big way. And what happened was, was that the large holdings that the English had at that time were then bought up by many families that came over to work in the nurseries all those years ago. And since then, we've kept the actual uh, horticultural industry going by having small holdings with families running sort of, you know, an acre, a couple of acres of, of nursery. Until we get to the position where we are now, where we have got, for example, big holdings for, from only a few families, for example, that have left in the business in effect. So that's really how we've got to where we are now and hopefully going to go from there to expanding further to try and sort of uh, feed the UK if we can. So tell us about your nursery. Where is it? What, when, what do you grow? Our nursery is in the, the Lee Valley. It's uh, in Royden in Essex. It's about, I say, 15 miles from the centre of London. So it's, uh, it's very well placed with the M25 only being a few miles away. We are 23 acres of greenhouse, which primarily grow tomatoes uh, on the vine that you know, supply many of the major supermarkets, put it that way. And we've got a small section of snack peppers, which, again, are supplied to the supermarkets as well. Where, where do you get your green fingers from, mum and dad? Definitely not. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, do you know what? Uh, it's green fingers is 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 an important is, is is a very important way of, of looking at it because obviously you have to understand the plant. But do you know what? This is so technical nowadays. It's it's a science. It's no longer plant it and, and off you go. This is a science where we are controlled by environmental computers, you know, uh, which control humidity, feed, temperature, etc., etc. So it really isn't just a situation where 
you plant, watch it grow and pick it. It really is a much more involved scenario. And so how, give, give the audience an idea of what you grow. You said tomatoes, how many uh, and sort of what sort of volume um, and, and kind of the, the sort of energy that you must have to use. I mean, we think of greenhouses and we must think of temperature control and heating yeah. and lighting and all that. Can you paint a picture of, if I walked in there, what would it look like? Well, for, for a start, it's, it's, it's all under one roof, if you know what I'm saying, although they're sectioned off. So roughly, if you look at, for example, uh, it's roughly 80,000 square meters. And right. it's about, uh, we, 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 we get about uh, 24 kilos. We do about nearly 2 million kilos of, of tomatoes a year, basically. Wow. 2 million kilos. It's, I mean, it's huge. Without being about it, if you go in, it's yes. And the other thing to add, every time I go, I'm struck by how nice it is inside. Light. Ah, uh, there you it, go. Matt. It's a wonderful, <laughs> uh, not to be too technical about it, massive structure. You're kind of from one if you're standing at one end, you kind of struggle, struggle to see the other end. It's it, it's oh big. God. That's right. So it's, it's, it's like a Kew Gardens of tomatoes. I like it. Yeah, that's <laughs> a good description. Going on to your question, obviously about heat, etc. Et yeah, because I mean, everyone thinks of a greenhouse and they think, well, you've got to have you've got to keep it warm. Uh, you obviously in the summer, you've got the light, but there must be some temperature control. You must have some ways of putting the water in, so like some sort of hydration system. What, what, yeah. what have you got? Well, what happens is, is this is where AMP are very important as well, and we'll come to the, the, the exact... Yeah, we'll have a chat about the energy in a second. But yeah. the main thing is, is, is the fact that all greenhouses require some temperature control. So it means the fact that where we are here in England, and even Holland, and all around these northern parts of Europe, where we can control the temperature much better, instead of being in a very, very hot country where the summer you can't grow because it gets too hot, this is where we're able to sort of control the, the, the environment uh, and, and the heat so that it, it doesn't become too hot so the plant suffers, but we're able to give it heat to generate uh, growth to, to the plant as well. Light is a very, very important factor as well. So it means the fact that in the summer months, which is where our season is, light is, in a, you know, is, is, is quite an abundance. But then after the summer goes, October and the shoulder, month, shoulder months, it starts to get a little bit lower than light, whereby we then they think about putting some artificial lighting to extend the season a little bit more. So it really is important to have variation in heat as well. So you can't have a scenario where you've got a greenhouse that's always one temperature. We have to have a variation where yeah. it gets cold at night, where the fruit can set, and in the summer and, and during the day it gets warmer so it can actually grow and produce the fruit. And what about, do you grow all year round? Because that's the thing, you know, in Italy they have seasons, don't they? So. When I go and I visit them, they go, oh, I'd say, oh, I'd love a, I'd love a tangerine. Oh, it's not, not the season for it. Or I want an orange, not the season for it. You can, you know, I want this vegetable. No, it's not now. We're used to just walking into any supermarket, any part of this country, and having any food. If I want a kiwi, I can get a kiwi. I can get tomatoes all year round. So for you, do you grow the tomatoes throughout the winter as well? Uh, no, we don't, uh, because uh, that's, uh, we are seasonal as well. So we will plant our plants in January. We'll start picking our tomatoes in April, and then we will then stop in October, whereby we will be able to sort of clean up our glass, our sterilize it ready for the next season. We can extend that season a little bit more by having artificial lighting, which will allow us to maybe extend the season slightly on the shoulder months where the days are a little bit shorter, but we always need a break somewhere. And the reason why, for example, we don't grow in the winter where we possibly could do is because of the investment that's required and the competition that we have from abroad, which is much cheaper to import something from Turkey or from yeah. Spain, et cetera, et cetera. 
Yeah. Let's talk about the energy and then we'll bring Mark in a bit. Um, how much energy does it take to run your, your nursery then? Mark would know the exact figures, but the energy side of it, as I said, is extremely important because heat is one of our major expenses with employment. Yeah. And, and I think that if we're able to get some kind of a reduced rate of heat, it means the fact that we become more competitive with the, uh, our competitors in, in Holland and in Spain. Because don't forget, Spain, obviously, it's a warmer country. I think yeah. the labor is cheaper. Uh, I think uh, Holland, which I can compare ourselves with, is a much more evolved scenario when it comes to horticulture. They are the, the world leaders in horticulture. So you can understand that they have actually sort of been able to you know, perfect their, their trade over many, many years while we've been sleeping and importing stuff. Let's ask that question then, Mark. I mean, what sort of energy does, does the nursery use? Well, simply put, a lot. Uh, <laughs> and I mean, I, I guess our business is, you know, we're, we're constantly on the lookout for ways to decarbonise heat loads. And, and, and in that respect, greenhouses are perfect because the heat. So at Villa, we have just over six and a half megawatts of installed biomass heat capacity with some CHP. So that's taking wood chip and it's taking the fines from our pellet business so this is the the, the fine particulates as it were that come off the screen when we screen our wood pellet so we take that almost waste product and put that into the into the boilers along with 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 wood chip you've got six and a half megawatts of, of biomass heat and chp but alongside that we also have three megawatts of gas engines that run as peakers during the electricity peak so typically between four and seven um, that will generate electricity for the site alongside the biomass CHP. Also, when it runs, we will recover the heat from the jackets and the heat from the jackets goes into the, uh, into the water accumulators uh, to supplement the heat from the, 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 the biomass. So it's, uh, uh, there, there's a lot going on. Yeah, I can tell. Um, I want to talk about the savings in a minute, but let's take back a little bit. Michael, why did you get in touch with AMP in the first place? What, how, how did this all happen that you were looking for some different solutions. I assume you were, you were heated by gas, were you, in the past, or, or uh, you had other forms of heat? Yeah, we were actually. Obviously, one of the things that we look for to um, give us a bit of credence in this uh, very competitive market is to be as carbon neutral as we can, uh, which means the fact that, you know, we need to firstly import less from abroad, but also to have a, a very environmentally friendly way of heating our glass house. And we felt that someone like AMP that can produce biomass energy from uh, wood chips, it was something which we were very, we were very much keen. And we got in touch with, through Tinder, actually, me and Mark. But, uh, <laughs> if only. Now there's a story. <laughs> right, guys, you saw yeah, it. Yeah, 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 if only, Michael. Now, we actually had a few people come round, and I think that uh, the way that uh, AMP sort of uh, uh, presented themselves and uh, what they were offering were better than anyone else. And it was a company that I think that we could, we can trust that we, we, we're doing good things with anyway. So I think that that way, uh, we knew that we wouldn't get into that sort of scenario. And I think they presented the best uh, solution for us anyway. Mark, when you first got there, um, how long have you guys been working together now, by the way? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, quite a long time. Um, four or five years, Michael? Yeah, I reckon. Five plus, I think. Yeah, yeah. Right. So when you first went there, could you see actually you talked about the boilers and could you see exactly where you could put in what infrastructure that would make a difference yeah i i think the solution was uh, was clear biomass is a sort of it's an ideal sort of application for the green yeah. because of the load the heat load profile 
Um, as Michael says, you know, it, it, it's not a it's not a constant heat load profile. It you know sometimes you need more heat and sometimes you need less. So biomass is is quite good for that. The challenge was around the economics. So how do you get the economics um, to work, and how can you be competitive with gas in particular? So that that really took quite a bit of thinking about. So and, and the answer to that is a is a combination of technologies to do things at scale and to make use of different fuel sources. So we make use of, of wood chip, which we source locally and from our supply chains. And as I said earlier, we, we also make use of the, the byproduct from our pellet distribution business. It is a combination of things. It's the combination of technologies which has enabled us to basically deliver a, you know, a low carbon solution, which is cost effective with, with gas. And as Michael said, you know, it's a competitive industry. Yeah. The industry, they need to compete. And heat is a, is a key component of that. So it's not a, just about decarbonizing. It's about de- decarbonizing in a cost-effective way. And I guess the, the final thing that was on the table for discussion was about funding. So, you know, key to our business model is that we, we fully fund our installations and we, we own and operate them. Yeah, I mean, that, that must have been a big issue, isn't it? I mean, Michael, you, you've got the, the vision. You think, I want to go greener. You have the conversation. But obviously, you're running a business. And we all know how competitive supermarkets are. So was funding a big worry for you? Did you think, I might want to do this, but how do I actually pay for it all? Because obviously you've got your general running costs, as you say, of, of your staffing and, and, and your energy costs to, to look at before you even get to your, your bottom line margin. Well, the, the, the truth of the matter really is the fact that uh, we used to run our own, what you call CHPs. And, yeah. um, you know, we, it, was, it was a pretty much of a full-time job. Uh, and uh, we would just want to really concentrate on growing and not be sort of uh, sidetracked in, you know, uh, energy management, uh, buying sun electricity. And obviously, uh, a, a very important factor is the fact that AMP were able to fund all their uh, uh, investments at, at Villa Nursery um, without us putting our hands in our pocket, which meant the fact that they were, in my opinion, confident in what they were going to do. Was that the real kicker? Because... Is that what got you over the line to say yes? Because you, you knew that you didn't have to make that capital investment yourself. Uh, I think it was part of the, a part of the actual, it was a, a, a big influencing factor without a doubt. But it obviously gave me confidence in the fact that, uh, you know, as long as I was able to receive energy at a discount, other than that, that's all that really mattered to me. And obviously allowing them to stay on the site and, and having the benefit of that site to generate their own income was fine for me. It really was. I mean, other than that, I mean, there, there are schemes of other people having their own biomasses. But again, it's, you've got to be expert in one thing. And I'm not an energy or heat provider or engineer or electricity trader. So in that respect, I just wanted to concentrate really on what I do best, which is grow and sell my, my produce. So yeah. that was a very, very important factor, actually having them, because it gave me confidence with them. The fact that they were able to put their own money into it, that gave me confidence with the fact of what they were going to do. Other than that, you know, it's, it's the fact that we just wanted to get on with growing. Yeah. And, and Mark, I suppose that's, that is the thing. I mean, you know, I've talked to your, your boss, Richard, many a time, and he always talks about the fact that you're willing to put your money in, you're willing to take that risk. I suppose that's the thing that, you know, in these tough times that we're facing, when businesses want to go green, their ambition is there. The reality is the finance is always difficult. So what makes you guys so confident that you would take a risk and say, we'll build it, we'll run it for you? You know, and we'll put that money in. Why'd you do that? Well, we do it because I guess that's, you know, that's our business. That's our DNA. 
But key to any investment decision is having a partner that we can get on, get along with. And key to that also is the integrity of the project. And and what you have here is, you know, it's a fantastic story. We are decarbonizing the growing of homegrown produce. We're taking, you know, um, wood chip that's sourced, you know, you know, within the UK. We're taking our pellet fines, making the most of those. We're recycling the heat from our peaking plant. And, you know, where we do burn gas, and typically the guys will burn gas to, to produce CO2 because it needs CO2. Um, you know, when that gas is burned, you know, the, the heat is not wasted. It, it goes back into the accumulator. So carbon that comes out of the burning of the gas is then put in the greenhouse. And that helps, you know, for the, um, you know, helps the yields in the greenhouse to, to grow more, more produce. So we need to work with good partners. We want to be involved in good projects. Our projects don't pay back in one or two years, right? They pay back over a very long period of time. So, so you're willing to invest for the longer term. That's what you're saying. Yeah, it's key to that. So, and and it's a two-way thing. So we are willing to invest for the longer term, but we need a partner that's also prepared to commit. And it's very difficult to do these projects if you've only got a short-term horizon. You know, these are substantial infrastructure projects, and they take a long time to pay back. Can you give me an example? You know, I don't need specific, but either percentages or if you want to do money. What's the sort of cost and carbon savings the nursery is, is, is sort of making now annually compared to before you guys got involved, Mark? Yeah, we think we're just under about, the, the project has essentially evolved. So it's sort of started at two and a half megawatts. We then inserted the, the peaking assets and we've now installed another four megawatts of, of biomass boilers um, to go alongside the extension to glass that Michael's put in. So in combination, we are at around about 4,000 tonnes of carbon in terms of the annual saving, which is, which is a substantial amount. And in terms of um, sort of financial savings? Well, I can sort of, I'll give you a rough idea. It's about, it's about 30%, I think, anyway. That's, that's significant, isn't it, then? That, that, that's is. a big, big difference for, for a it business, is. if you can save 30%. Yeah. Or is it less than Mark? Uh, instead of that, it's about 30%. Yeah, no, you're, 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 you're there or thereabouts, Michael. Yeah, it's about, about 30%. And to be honest with you, there's two, two very, very important parts about this. As Mark says, you know, quite, quite correctly, we need the, right, the, the correct partner and the partners that we can get on with because, tr trust you me, things evolve, things change as you go along. And if you've got the right company, the right people, you can overcome a lot of things. The other thing as well is, is constant heat as well, which is very, very important as mm. well. Not only, it's not good having cheap heat if, if it's sporadic or if it comes once in a while. We have to have constant heat, which is where we're getting uh, to the point now. Where we, as Mark quite rightly says there, we've got some large biomass boilers in which would be running pretty much 24-7, I should think, anyway, all year round. And in terms of this you know, solution, do you think it's made you a bit more competitive? Has it, has it helped Villa Nursery? In, in kind of you know being being out there forget you know the quality aside i'm sure quality is great but do you think that you said right actually by investing in this by working with this uh company i now am in a situation where i'm actually a more competitive business there's there's a, there's a few things uh, to say about that competitiveness obviously there's a, there's a few factors obviously you know things like uh, heat is extremely important uh, and I think the fact that you're able to do that and save an amount of money means the fact that you can actually expand and be, become more competitive with the, the larger nurseries, which economies of scale work quite well in this business as well. And we have to be competitive with the Dutch as we have to be with the, with, with the Spanish, but more with the Dutch, because the Dutch have a very evolved horticultural system. 
And what we're doing now is something that they've been doing for the last 15, 20 years. So we've got yeah. a bit of catch up to do. Mm. Let's talk about the future. So um, to sort of end with, I mean, we all know that COVID-19 and, and let's, we will talk about, we all recognize the human cost, but it's been an environmental revelation for many of us. And I'd, I'd like to just talk about that. We've seen things improve in our own local environments, but it's also made people think about, you know, supply chains. People think about where do things grow? Where do we get our food? How is it all packaged? Let's start with you, first of all, Michael. Do you think there'll be a real change in horticultural culture, dare I say? Because people will expect you, because the end consumer that goes to the supermarket, wherever, wants to know how that tomato grew, wants to know how it's packaged, wants to know how, what energy it went into it. Is this all things that you think will change the industry moving forward? I hope so, and I, and I think that it will, because just to give you a fact, all the UK growers only produce 30% of the demand of tomatoes in the UK. Wow. 70% is all imported from Spain, Turkey, Holland, etc., etc. So yes, I think that it will change things. And I think that if they want to see what's going on, all they have to do is come down to see us, and they can see exactly what we're doing. They don't have to go to another country, they don't have to go anywhere at all. We're all here and we have got the strictest, and I'm talking about the strictest criteria when it comes to growing, far stricter than, for example, Holland, which means the fact that there's various chemicals that Holland can use in their production of tomatoes that we can't in this country, okay? But the supermarkets will always import. And so that is the issue, isn't it? That however many of us want to, to, to buy local, you know, the last decade organic farmers markets you see them springing up everywhere mm. um that issue of actually making uk horticulture more competitive so it then starts to build bite into that 70 percent, as you say in your field that that will be a more important thing as we go on because i think people will want that won't they i hope so because i mean there's a few things you know besides the environmental impact which is extremely important as we go along there is other fact as well is is, is taste, is security of the food that we require in this country. We, I, just to give you an example, you know, if you import something from even Holland, it will take three, four days before it comes here, by the time it's picked, mm. put in a lorry, come over. You know, they pick their, their tomatoes at 80% or 70% ripe, which means that, that when it comes to, to, to our supermarket shelves, it doesn't taste the same because a lot of the sugars have been cut off at 70%. We, in effect, will grow our tomatoes and 99% ripe, it will be in your supermarket within 24 hours. And it will be a much better and sweeter tomato. That's why I'm confident in the fact that I can come against the Italians and say, look, come and take <laughs> my tomatoes because you won't be disappointed. La dolce vita, absolutely. And, and Mark, what, what do you think about this whole thing about the net zero future and you know businesses perhaps looking for solutions like you offer to to make ourselves here now a bit more competitive, to, to think that, you know, whatever it is, whether it's food or manufacturing, there, there could be a way that we, we can do a bit more self-sustaining work. Well, I think if you read all the headlines, there's, there's a huge call for um, a green growth. The challenge, as I see it in three months' time, is, is where does the money come from um, and how are things funded? 
what we really need to see come out of this whole COVID crisis is um, is a real commitment to to decarbonizing. And I think you know where will there's a way. We are you know um, you know just talking our own book. We are prepared to fund projects, but what we need to do is we need we need to, to work with companies that are prepared to make long term commitments. Um, in order in order for us to make those investments in those projects to decarbonize but you know as as we look at it now the landscape a huge amount has been done in electricity and we've been incredibly successful particularly in offshore wind in this in this country you know then we really need to double down on our efforts on heat um, and I think that's you know if, if if something comes out of this we really hope that it's a uh, uh, we have a green growth recovery, but there's a much greater focus on decarbonising our heat. Yeah, absolutely. And finally, I mean, what are his tomatoes like, Mark? And just don't say they're good because he's your customer. <laughs> they're, they're, you know, they're, they're exceptionally good. <laughs> and I, obviously, I wouldn't say anything else, but, but to the point that my, my kids recognise them in the supermarket and, uh, and always insist on having those. So, no, they're pretty good. And, um, if, you don't enter any. Some, if you ever get a, if you ever get the chance to go to the greenhouse, which I would strongly recommend. No, I'd love to. Yeah, I, I I know that part of the world very well, so it's not far from me. Uh, I'm in North London. It's a lovely environment to be in. But I'll, I'll be I'll be there for a taste taste test. The invitation well, the, is uh, you'll, you you won't come away without a pocket full of of, of tomatoes. Um, you know what, Michael? Uh, what I'll, do, I'll, I'll get my uh, <laughs> my in-laws to send some tomatoes from Italy, and then we we'll do a taste stuff. Should we do that? Not a problem at all. I will win. Trust me. Because <laughs> I will win. It'd be a pleasure to have any of you guys here and show you. Mark knows it very well, but yourself, absolute pleasure. No, no, absolutely. Listen, guys, thanks very much for joining us. I really hope uh, you've enjoyed this conversation as much as I have. Uh, ladies and gents, thanks for listening to this Future Net Zero podcast. You have been listening to a promoted podcast from Future Net Zero. Please follow us on social media and subscribe to the website at www futurenetzero.com. Future Net Zero. Better business, better planet.